Amen, amen. Hey, uh, grab a seat, and as you do, grab your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and if you're new to the Bible, uh, the book of Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. Uh, get there with me, and uh, while you settle in at Matthew chapter 5, let me ask a, a big life question formed in a, a, a few little words, and the question is this, what ultimately satisfies? What ultimately satisfies? It's human nature uh, for us to be on pursuit of, 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 of being satisfied, of figuring out what it is that ultimately satisfies us. And all, all of us in the room know uh, when we have pursued after something that we thought would satisfy in a way that it fell short. Um, uh, about a half century or more ago, a great theologian Mick Jagger said this, <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. And now you won't hear anything else that I say the rest of the time. You'll just be singing that over and over and over again. But he's right. I can't get no satisfaction. All of us know what it's like to have pursued after something, someone, somewhere, and gone, ah, oh, dissatisfied, unsatisfied, unfulfilled. It didn't quite do what I thought it would do. The whole world is after this. And now the, the tricky thing about satisfaction or fulfillment is that we ultimately don't find satisfaction or fulfillment by pursuing satisfaction or fulfillment. There is another thing that is to be pursued in order to be a satisfied one. And Jesus, in the way that only Jesus can do, in the fourth beatitude, he in one line puts it all together of what ultimately satisfies the human heart. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who what? Who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus, what's the secret? What's the secret to satisfaction? How do we find a satisfied life? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All of today's message put in one statement is this. It's hungering and thirsting for a heart right with God is what ultimately satisfies. And so uh, we want to take this beatitude, this fourth beatitude that we're looking at in our summer series, and we want to just kind of break it into its three parts uh, this morning. As part of our conversation today, uh, I just want to uh, have it in three parts. The first uh, part, we need to talk about righteousness. Uh, what it is, what it isn't, how do we understand that? And the second part, we need to get after this hungering and thirsting. Uh, Jesus uses always very intentional words, and so why does he talk about hungering and thirsting? Uh, why doesn't he say something else? We, ne we need to get after that. And then in the third part of our conversation today, we need to talk about what it means to be satisfied. What is satisfaction? And so if you would, pray with me, and let's ask God to, to guide us. Father, Lord, um, apart from you, we will not hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, Lord, you tell us that um, the blessed ones are those who do. Lord, we certainly are gathered here this morning, worshiping you, sitting now under your word, because we want to be accounted in the ranks of those you call blessed. And so, Lord, we're asking now as we study your word that you will give us a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness. That you will help us to reject and run away from a hungering and thirsting after anything else. Uh, we pray that your spirit would uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
Lord, we pray you would calm our hearts and our minds if there's anything that would distract us from these moments of just searching the depths of your word. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So let's begin with just part one of our conversation, righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, What is righteousness? Here's how I'm putting it for this week. Righteousness is a heart right with God. Righteousness is to be right with God. But uh, I, I think it's important that we have the word heart in that. It's not just about being right with God in the sense of, of our hands doing moral and good things. Righteousness flows from the heart. And it's actually so important that we understand uh, righteousness as a heart thing because this is exactly what Jesus is doing in this sermon he is preaching. Uh, Shortly after the Beatitudes, he's going to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? Again, uh, we hear that with kind of the, the, the blessing of, of having a, a lot of time to understand the, how uh, hypocritical uh, the Pharisees were. But the people in Jesus' day would have heard this and gone, oh my goodness, there's no hope for us. If our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, I mean, they, follow, they try to follow it to the, to the letter of the law, right down to the T. And, and Jesus is like, no, but the scribes and Pharisees are missing something. Their righteousness is all about the righteousness of their hands. It's all about them trying to do the right thing, but their heart is so far from God. And, and we know throughout the Gospels the strong language that Jesus had for the scribes and the Pharisees. You guys are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And so this is why a right understanding of righteousness has to be a righteousness which flows from the heart, a heart right with God. And all week, this has been working me over because uh, in the Christian experience, we can get so focused on just do right things, just do right things. And Lord, I've just been praying, Lord, make my heart right. Give me a heart that desires to do right things. And so righteousness is a heart thing. It's a heart right with God. Now, all of us should hear that statement and go, ah, who can have a heart right with God? I mean, right, all of us can probably say with a lot of integrity, like, I'm the most sinful person I know because you know what goes on in the depths of your heart. You know what flows out of there. You know what you want to say when you don't really say it. You know what you're thinking. You know some of the junk that rises from the heart, and you're like, where does this come from? Who can have a heart right with God? It's important as we talk about righteousness that that we get into talking about this, positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Righteousness. Now, there's a, a lot of different ways throughout history that people have talked about these, these things, but I, I want to unpack uh, this for us so that we get at a right understanding of what righteousness is. Uh, by positional righteousness, here's what I mean. Positional righteousness is the fact that we have been justified. To be justified means to, de- to be declared righteous. We've been justified by faith in Jesus. And all God's people said, without this, we're hopeless. If you take from the message today, okay, now, like, I just got to go try to live more righteously, you're, you're, you're hopeless. Because we cannot muster up a righteousness that's inherently in us. 
We cannot ultimately make our hearts righteous. We need the righteousness of another. And all throughout the Bible, we are told of a righteousness which comes by faith. The fact that we have been justified, declared righteous in the sight of the Father, not based on our good works, but based on the good works of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what makes the gospel so amazing. I think so often as we think about the gospel, we think uh, he, he has forgiven us for our sins. Praise the Lord over that, right? That in Christ, when the moment we believe, we are forgiven for our sins, past, present, future. But what makes the gospel also so awe-inspiring is not only are we forgiven from our sins, Christ's righteousness is imputed, given to us. Imputed righteousness is my favorite doctrine to study. It really is. Because it's mind-boggling to me that not only would my good and gracious God forgive me for my sins, but that he would clothe me in the righteousness of his son. And, and don't just take my word for it. Let me just read a couple of things from the New Testament. They'll be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3 verse 9 says, and be found in him, uh, Paul's, Paul's rolling here, Paul, I love when Paul's just rolling in a letter, and he says, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? On faith. Romans 4 verse 5, and this, this idea is all over the book of Romans, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Thank you, Lord, that you justify the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 3.22, and I want to read this verse in the New Living Translation, says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. I want to read in the NLT because I want to ask that question. Have you been made right with God by believing in Jesus Christ? There is no other way for you to be made right with God than by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone in this room, as this verse says, no matter who you are and no matter where you've been and no matter what you've done, can be made right with God through believing in Jesus Christ. And in a room this size, no doubt there is always a few people who are thinking, about, thinking they read this verse and they think, I know, that God, I know that Christ can make me right with God except for that one thing or that one time or that one season. No, it's not how it works. You will be made right with God the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? No matter who you are, this is the righteousness given to us by Christ. This is the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the reality that we are forgiven for our sins the moment we believe and we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, that has some practical outflowing. Someone who genuinely understands that, someone who really gets, someone whose heart has been gripped by the gospel isn't like, so wheat. I'm righteous in the sight of God, eat, drink, be merry, live however we want, and I got my insurance policy to heaven, I'm good. 
That's not how that flows out. Like, that the positional righteousness reality flows into a practical righteousness. And by practical righteousness, I'm talking about this. I'm talking of a pursuit of a righteous life. All over the Bible, we see this reality that we are made righteous the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. And all over the Bible, we, are see, we see this command to pursue righteousness, to get after living a righteous life. The command to pursue righteousness isn't ultimately what makes us right in God's sight. Our faith alone does, but someone who has faith alone will pursue a life pleasing to God. 2 Timothy 2 verse, 20, or verse 22 says this, so flee youthful passions and pursue what? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Timothy 6 verse 11 says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And so we are made right with God the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. And from that reality, from that gospel reality, we pursue righteousness. We want to see the sanctifying work of God in our life. The Lord at work making us look more like Jesus, to say it like this, those made positionally righteous in Christ desire to practically live out the righteousness of Christ just that reality. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for a heart right with God. Now, um, as we talk about this, this positional reality, this practical reality, we got to talk about this uh, self-reality. The, the greatest enemy often to the seeking after of true righteousness in our life is something we call self-righteousness. Jesus was going after a lot of self-righteousness in the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees. Self-righteousness pretty easily can be understood just by the phrase itself. It is us looking to ourselves in order to be righteous or to make ourselves righteous. Uh, let's just try to get at an understanding of self-righteousness versus true righteousness. Self-righteousness, uh, you, you measure thing, you measure based on your standards. We measure based on my standards. And so uh, there's the, what I mean by that is, is God has given us pretty clear standards in his word. And uh, we can go, yeah, I know, but that seems a little high and lofty. I'm going to settle for this, and I'm not convicted by it, and I think it's pretty okay. But true righteousness doesn't be measure based on our standards. It measures based on God's standards. What does God say? What does God call me to? So God's word says not a hint of sexual immorality. Am I holding my life to that as the standard? And not settling for something that I'm okay with that's a lesser standard than what God says. Uh, Self-righteousness focuses on the hands. True righteousness focuses on the hearts. Self-righteousness says, well, I'm not doing anything, actually. But what does Jesus do all through the Sermon on the Mount? If you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered. What? True righteousness gets out of righteousness of the heart. Self-righteousness is most concerned, here's a big one now, is most concerned with how people view us. I do things because I want you to think I'm righteous. I might even do things 
that I know you're watching so that you'll think I'm righteous. True righteousness isn't concerned with what people think. True righteousness is most concerned with how God views us. And the, the, the completely like, um, the tough thing to realize sometimes, right, is as God is viewing us, he sees our hearts, he sees our thoughts. And people who are after true righteousness are saying, like, Lord, before you, I want this kind of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a heart right with God. Now, let's move kind of to the second part of this conversation, this hungering and this thirsting, this hungering and this thirsting. Um, Jesus could have used a lot of words here. Blessed are those who yearn for righteousness. Blessed are those who desire righteousness. But what I love about what Jesus does here is he gives us a very concrete words. All of us in the room and every person listening to Jesus speak this for the first time, you know what it feels like to be hungry. And you know what it feels like to be thirsty. There's a concrete nature to what Jesus is saying here. And we, when we're hungry, when we're hungry, what do we want to do? It's not a trick question. We want to eat. When we're hungry, we want to move towards the thing that will satisfy our hunger. When we're thirsty, what do we want to do? We want to drink. We want to move towards the thing that will satisfy our thirst. Now, let me just call a time out here and a little bit of an aside related to this. When I talk about moving toward, hungering after, thirsting after, hear me now. The Christian life is more about who we are moving toward than it is what we are running from. We have to get that. Because the Christian life is a miserable experience if all we're focusing on is what we're always running from. Don't do that. Don't hang out with them. Don't do this. Did you see that running form? (laughs) It's miserable. And parents, and not just parents, but those of you discipling younger people in the faith, if you make the Christian life all about what you're running from, it's miserable, y'all. I'll just tell you. And and, 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 and some of you in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about because maybe you grew up in homes where it was just all about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, hear me, hear me. The Bible certainly talks a lot about fleeing sin. I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't talk about fleeing sin. What I'm saying is I believe the greatest recipe of fleeing sin is a hot pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You run hard after him, you're going to be running from the things the Bible says to run from. And so the Christian life isn't just about don't do this. It's a hungering. It's a thirsting. It's, a, it's an I'm famished and I'm starving for the righteousness that comes only from Christ. That's the fun Christian experience. Time back in, I think. But it's a hungering, it's a thirsting. We move towards that which will satisfy. And Jesus says it's a hungering and it's a thirsting for righteousness that will ultimately satisfy. Let me ask this question. Are you hungry for righteousness? Um, I know, it's kind of hard to know, right? I think I am. I know I could do better. I know I could be more. Can we say like the psalmists say, 
Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Brock, you love to read it. Can you say it with him? Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for you. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Can we say it? Does my soul thirst and faint for the Lord like that? Am I hungry for righteousness? Am I hungry for the righteousness that comes only from Christ? Am I hungry that I would be sanctified and look increasingly like Christ? Am I hungry to see my heart, what flows from my heart, growing in righteousness until that day I'm standing before him and he perfects me in his presence? Am I that hungry? Am I that thirsty? Thirsty. And if I'm not, why not? Why don't I hunger and thirst for righteousness like that? Well, it could be that I'm filling up on lesser things. It could be to stay with the illustration Jesus gives us that I'm spoiling my dinner. that I'm hungering after things that God has told me not to ultimately hunger after. And no, no doubt immediately what comes to mind is we think of sin in our life that we might continue to go back to. And if there is that, we need to confess that, we need to repent of that, we need to turn from that if we're hungering and thirsting after sin instead of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But it's not only just a sin thing. Could it be that um, our hunger and thirst for righteousness is curbed by just filling up on other things that are good things in and of themselves, things that God gives us to enjoy, but just things that, we've been, uh, things that we have been desiring in an inordinate way, things that have become the supreme hunger and thirst when righteousness has become that supreme hunger if I knew after church today that I was going to roost Chris for lunch, Erica, just saying, okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> if I knew that waiting for me after the 11 o'clock service today was a filet mignon from Ruth's Chris, I can assure you of something. I would not eat a bag of peach rings on the way there. Now, peach rings are my jam. Peach rings, in my opinion, are one of the most underrated candies out there. They're, I love them. Got them for Father's Day. They're amazing. But I can assure you, if a filet is waiting for me at the end of the drive, I'm not filling up on peach rings. Why? Because I don't want any candy to spoil the experience of the filet that's waiting for me. Some of us in the room, as weird as the illustration is, are filling up on the candies of life instead of the filet of righteousness that God asks us to hunger and thirst after. They're good things. God gives them to us for our enjoyment, and yet we've made it the supreme hunger of our life. 
Uh, what, can this, what can this look like? Uh, you want to be married. Hear me. It's a good desire. It's totally okay. It's normal to long for that. But don't make it the supreme hunger of your life, hunger and thirst after righteousness. You want to make a dent in your career field for whatever God's called you to do. You want to be the best at it. You, you, want, to, you want to excel at it. You want to go somewhere in it. It's okay. It's good. It's a good desire and drive that God's given to you. Don't make it your ultimate hunger. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to make money. Okay. Make a lot of money and give a lot of money away to God's kingdom work, but don't make it the greatest hunger of your life, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then as we've said all along, a beatitude is a pronouncement of blessing and it's accompanied with a promise. And the promise that Jesus gives us here is the promise that the whole world is searching for. It's the promise that our heart has been searching for. It's the promise that Mick Jagger was singing about. What satisfied, ble satisfies? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Isn't there something even just by hearing the word satisfied that brings a rest over your soul. We long for it. We want to know what that looks like, what that means, what that feels like. Lord, what will satisfy? Brock, a hunger and thirst for righteousness will satisfy. And what I love about what he says here is, is it's a hunger and thirst of a lifetime. On this side of heaven, we'll never wake up one day and go, I am completely and totally righteous. And if you have, just ask your spouse. <laughs> it is a pursuit of a lifetime. It's a hungering and thirsting that we will continue to hunger and thirst after. Jesus, we want more of you. We want more of you. We want more of you. And what this beatitude tells us, blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for that because the ones hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that comes from Christ, you will never be left wanting. You will never desire for more of this and go, ah, huh, didn't, just didn't quite do it. All of us in the room know those things that have left us unsatisfied, the things we built up and the things we had all these great expectations and we thought this is going to do something special and then we know what it's like to get back on the airplane after the vacation or to hop into the minivan after the vacation for the 18-hour drive. The difference between the drive to, right? Kids screaming in the back, it's okay, we're going on vacation. <laughs> Way different heading back north, isn't it? <laughs> we all know what it's like and go, oh, it was so, God, thank you for that. It was good, but it just didn't quite. We know what it's like when the experience, whatever that experience was, we thought, they, and it was just, it, ah, it was underwhelming. 
You know what it's like when the relationship you thought was it quickly becomes not it. When the new purchase is just now the old one. Dented, faded, broken. We know what it feels like when the old trophy is now just the current dust collector. We all know what it's like to go like this thing, that place, this job, this whatever, that, that was going to satisfy, and it just didn't do it. But what does Jesus tell us here? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In whatever you're doing, and wherever you're living, in whatever season God has you, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting for a heart right with God is what ultimately satisfies. And the reason for this is, is really pretty simple. That all of us in this room were created by this righteous God. And whether you've acknowledged it personally or not, your heart longs to be in communion with this righteous God. And so it makes sense that Jesus would come on the scene and he'd begin his, this sermon and he'd say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger to see their character conformed into a greater conformity of the one who created them. Blessed are those ones. It's what makes us in awe of this reality that as we talked a lot about today, the gospel means we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. It's what makes us have this hunger to see more of that righteousness played out, lived out, practically at work in our own life. So if you would just stand with me, I want to just pray a blessing over us as we let the truth of this beatitude sink in. I want us to sing of the holiness of the righteousness of God as we leave here today. But uh, Father, uh, we do just ask you right now that Lord, you might um, give us a greater hunger for righteousness. Lord, we've recognized over the last few weeks that we are poor in spirit. We are spiritually bankrupt apart from a savior. That poverty leads us to mourn. We mourn our sin. We mourn the ripple effects of it. Lord, it's this right understanding of who we are and who you are that makes us meek. And Lord, as, as people who recognize those things now, Lord, a, a, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness is stirred up in us. We want to we wanna acknowledge our spiritual poverty so that we can run to the riches of your righteousness at work in our life. And so Holy Spirit, I just uh, leave this for you to do in our hearts whatever you need to do with it. Uh, Lord, I pray um, that anyone in the room who has not 
believed Jesus in you that they would surrender their life in faith today. Lord, I pray for us who've been filling up on peach rings when you have something so much greater in your righteousness to fill up on, Lord, that we would just leave, leave some of those things behind. God, I pray most of all that we would not ultimately make the Christian life about just the things we're running from, but we would make the Christian life about the one we are running to and we would find our complete and total satisfaction and resting in your righteousness and watching your righteousness more and more and more at work in our own hearts. I pray all this now in Jesus' name.